something else. It's 12 minutes past 2, RTHK Radio 3, uh, the 123 show with James Ross in for Noreen, and it is Food and Drink on Tuesday uh, with Andrew Dembina. Andrew, how are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. We're very well. How are you, James? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, always salivating at the prospect of hearing something interesting on your Tuesday uh, spot. Um, sure, and, and sure. I understand we've, we're going to talk to start well, start off with with, with some about some tipples, right? Yeah, something to just kind of uh, you know get to, to sort of soothe the dust out of our throats before we get on to uh, the, uh, the 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 chewable stuff. Uh, a bit later on, have a little, start, start, yeah, starting off with um, because I've spoken to I think yourself and Noreen mm. in a couple of uh, segments of this uh, report on some really great podcasts that I'm always listening to, and I just wanted to recommend them to people. Mm. We've been through um, just about four or five so far, but there's one that I didn't have time to mention, and I wanted to uh, bring to the attention of the listener. It's a goodie. Um, and, I, and I'll start off with it so that I definitely have time for it today. Great. Um, it's um, now this sounds. Don't get this. Don't take this wrongly, anybody, uh, yourself, James, or the listener. Um, it's by the Guild of Sommeliers. Now that sounds a bit stuffy, doesn't it? Or it could be. It could be a little bit. Uh, <laughs> could be a bit. A bit academic. Yeah, a bit. Uh, you know, it, it, or a bit sort of wine snob, but it's not. Okay. Um, it's a great listen. Yeah, it's, it, and it's all about drinks, not only about wine. Uh, mm. but it, it, is, it does go into some depth, um, but it really is accessible. So I want to mention that from the outset. Right. Um, the, uh, the Guild of Sommeliers, then, is an association for professionals in the, uh, in the wine and drinks industry. Not all sommeliers are, um, are, are in bars and restaurants. Sometimes you get sommeliers who are consultants, for let's say um, wine producers or for auction houses, um, or you know they, they do many things other than just work in restaurants. As we may have heard of sommeliers being the person who might recommend your wine at a restaurant or something. Do, but, do, do, but they, they, do sommeliers have do sommeliers have to have a qualification of some kind? I mean, could, I wonder. Could I go out and call myself yeah. a sommelier? I've got a couple of bottles no, of wine from Watson's no. Wine, and I could be a sommelier maybe. No. No, no, it's a good question, and they really do need to be qualified in order to work for top, uh, you know, medium to top restaurants. Um, there are there's certification um, in wine and spirits. There are certain levels that start off. Um, they start off with a uh, uh, a kind of basic knowledge, mm. which so it depends on the establishment. But if it was for a restaurant or a bar, then um, they may just go on a CV if it's a casual restaurant or bar or down the local pub, that's not going to be necessary at all. Um, whether you can change a barrel is probably more important for that or to, uh, or, or, or to open a can of something without cutting your finger. Oh, I think, um, I think I can uh, open the can. I'm not sure about the barrel, but the can maybe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. But, um, no, but, there, but there's a qualification called the uh, a Master of Sommeliers Certificate. Mm. And there are fewer Master Sommeliers in the world um, than there are Masters of Wine. Masters of Wine, there are currently about 360 odd, but Master Sommeliers, there's uh, about 100 or so less, fewer. Okay. So it's um, so it's um, uh, th those people become can become really sought after consultants for wineries in the tasting process. Let's say when a wine is being um, uh, when it's 
fermenting or when it's going into barrels after after fermentation, when it's maturing, all these different stages where sips are taken. Mm. Um, sommeliers are often called in by uh, by the more um, serious wine producers to to get opinions on which way production should go at different stages. Um, so there's there's all that, but 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 again, I don't want to put off by by it sounding very austere and serious though the nature of some of that work the uh, the nature of the podcast which is very an easy listen and a really interesting one i love some of the topics that i've heard on this i'll, I'll mention a few of them in a moment um but um sommeliers also just as i mentioned briefly do have to uh specialize in one or two other areas of alcoholic drink and that is they, they might become uh really focused on sake uh, the Japanese rice wine or some other mm. Asian rice wine um, or they may go for one of the spirits which you know any of the spirits that you could name they might specialize in that as well the core of it is in wine but then they specialize in other areas right. and reflecting this this fact the podcast in question is not only about wine but other drinks too it's worth noting that all of them are alcoholic though occasionally there's been one on mixers and cocktails uh, and then it will break down what those components are what type of fruit juice goes better with what spirit um, but it's not a how-to podcast it's looking more at uh, things that are happening in uh, let's say new production of different types of uh, wine or, or let's say whiskey is being made more and more often in, in Asia which we hear about Japanese being the most um, known maybe but, but there's also whiskey made in india taiwan and all these places uh, and and these are you know these are new production areas how does this, this compare to the whiskey made in the traditional cold climate of scotland where it was where it comes from those those kind of um, topics are discussed um, and there was a very re interesting one i found interesting because i don't know much about this this liquor um about um korean soju which uh which is the um, which is a, a kind of uh, rice or wheat or other grain mm. uh, type of alcohol, but sure. it's stronger than uh, wine. So so they're, they're they're delving into a lot, and they also have uh, quite a good panel of people. The presenters have a good panel of guests who come and talk about other topics. Have included wine pairings uh, with food, uh, but also a really fun one was wine pairing with music. So there was a well, one of the 360-something masters of wine um, who, who has kind of done a little research into this topic. Her name is Susan Lynn, reflects on um, her career previously to becoming a master of wine as a classical pianist. So she has more insight than some other people uh, about uh, whether there is some uh, way of really pairing a type of beverage with right. music. Okay. Is, that, is, that, is that a cyn cynical laugh there, James? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know what you're <laughs> saying, Mr. Dimby. I don't know what you're saying. But I guess what's, what, what, what fascinates me is, is does that choice of music change the more glasses of wine you have? Uh, right, well, that's, but that, that, I mean, that, that's a fair question, really. You know, in the world of sommeliers and, uh, and serious wine tastings, people are not swallowing their glass of whatever alcoholic beverage that is it gets right. spat into a bucket mm. so um so when these when, when these experiments are going on with music 
they say, by the academics. Well, no, they're not academics, but, but by those who are, you know, masters of wine or qualified in some way or from the producer of the wine, they would not be knocking them back. <laughs> they'd be, they'd be, they, they would be just kind of giving it a, giving it a sniff, a swill in the mouth, and then out into the bucket it goes. And it's um, and that and and the residue on various areas of the tongue and the roof of the mouth would be they'd be you know tuning in carefully to the music that's being played, which you know then then maybe a sloosh of water between each between each sip of different wine to really make sure it's a clean palate to start with. You know, um, that, that's that's how it would be done. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not sure about this, you know. I'm, I'm not sure about this, but okay, it sounds interesting. Well, I, I, I've got okay. While we're talking about this, I'm yeah. going to say I'm going to tell you that I got invited uh, uh, some years ago by one of the big French champagne producers hmm. who has been pairing uh, what it says is its best vintages of champagne. So it's not from every single year that they harvest the grapes; it's when they consider them to be the really good ones. Yeah. Where it, it, it will it will decide. Oh, this is a great vintage, and somewhere among its discussion with all of its. Uh, um, winemakers and people, you know, owners, etc. They will decide that it might go well with a certain kind of music, and uh, it's a very well-known brand, as I say. And they've been doing this for a few years. And I went along to something that they were they were touring the world, uh, and, and, and as part of an Asian tour, there was an American jazz pianist that came to Hong Kong about must be eight or so years ago now, who um, who played music in a in a uh, in a bar in central um to while we had explained to us the uh the, the reasons for the nuances of the champagne going with the nuances of the music it was a very interesting thing to to, to listen to and taste i've got to say um you know uh, it, it's um it, it is quite a different concept yeah <laughs> just yeah it, just, to, to, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, and this, the same the same champagne producer has done this in other years with classical music, and in another year, bossa nova was decided to be the music that best went with that vintage. I think that's the, I think I think that's the point, isn't it? You know, you you can drink champagne every anywhere, can't you? You can drink it in a jazz bar. You could drink it in the aftermath, or you know, another one chai yeah, bar. Yeah. You could you could drink it on yeah. the sidelines of a classical music concert. You know, so I, I think it's right. a little bit difficult yeah. to tie it down. It's almost like it's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's what whatever whatever you feel at that time, I guess. It, it is, but I've got to say, having having been to a lot of uh, foods and drinks, uh, wine pairings as mm. well, it is amazing when you have it explained to you by either a master of wine or someone who is very knowledgeable about um, the production of that wine, and they've tasted many different dishes with chefs to try and get it exactly right. There's something amazing about it. It's a bit like, um, I think sometimes for people who are into art looking at a painting and if you know a bit about the artist trying to imagine you know what the artist was doing in their studio you know how they lived at that time 100 years ago or whatever it's just i think there's a certain uh, uh romance about some of these uh about some of these notions it's anyway, sort of it's sort of, the... it's sort of about inspiration isn't it is yeah. it's what inspires you isn't it really well, it, it, it is, but you know, to be honest, uh, the way they break it down, some of the, uh, you know, the the experts in this field is also a chemical reaction. Mm. So it's the acidity of uh, of wine, and there's a lot of acidity in white wine and champagne, which can cut through 
certain lighter oils um, quite well. Uh, they will go with other citric flavors that are in food, whether it's in a sauce or or whether it's a bit of citric fruit that's added to, you know, some salsa that's chopped up or something. You know, they'll, 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 um, they, it, it, there is a kind of a, some basic uh, sort of chart of what goes with what scientifically, mm. um, or at least that, that's, that's the theory. But, um, but, but then again, you might have, you know, in reality, you may have certainly if you've ever, you know, just kind of spent more than a, a, a minute having a word with a couple of fr friends who are having a glass of something, <laughs> uh, you might get a whole range of different opinions, mightn't you? So, yeah. Yeah, so on, what, on what it tastes like. So um, other, other related uh, uh, to topics on drinks in, the, in this podcast, though, sure. which, by the way, for those who want to hear it, is, called, uh, is at Guild Podcast. So it's the Guild of Sommeliers, but they, they, they narrow that down to just guildpodcast, one word, dot com. Uh, other interesting ones, then, were... Blind tastings, which is a bit like what we've just been talking about. This mm. is where you cover the label of uh, anything from spirits to wines, and they go across ranges to get real reactions about what is better than what. And then you may be surprised to learn that something is um, an entry level, you know, not very expensive um, drink of some kind that comes out um, with with some positive comments over things that are more expensive. Is it, they're, they're quite. They are quite sort of uh, honest about the way they, um, you know, objectively look at topics. And so just a couple more, um, just really briefly, that, are, that I think are really worth listening to, is a discussion on the importance of design in making wine or spirits stand out on the shelf. This is bottle shape, colour, labels and how this influences people. It's just a kind of, just part of the world of drinks, and it's quite interesting because you, you they have someone who's heading a company who um, who consults and uh, sets up, um, basically, booze packaging for hmm. various different types of... In, in some ways, in, in some ways, it's almost the most important uh, thing, I think, particularly for people who don't know a lot about wines. I mean, like me, uh, you mm. know, we do, we do sometimes tend to judge what it looks like on the label. Well, that looks like a nice label. It must taste taste nice. You mm. know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a kind of important thing, I suppose. I think so, yeah, definitely. I mean, mm. it's, uh, there, there, are there are certain uh, labels or bottles that have... Uh, that have just become you don't even need to read the label they become instantly recognizable either mm. i'm just thinking of certain whiskey labels that have certain colors that stand out immediately or shapes or whatever uh, mm. champagne does the same with bottle shapes there are some of the more expensive ones that have like teardrop shapes that are kind of you know that are, that, that i guess they they think look more luxurious um yeah and the, la the last one was um drinks auctions is also an interesting episode where auctioneers report on what are safe bets if you want to sell her something to keep something as an investment rather than to drink it um and also the mention of some surprises which are fetched a lot at auction um uh, you know that, that weren't expected to do so and sometimes um spoiler alert that's more to do with uh, those whose collection a certain bottle of this or that may have been in think winston churchill or p or or, or other other well-known people where where the provenance so the uh, the collection can be really tracked back properly you know authentically to be in someone's collection it's almost like a a uh, 
uh, I don't know, a precious item that, that might never be actually drunk, but it's something that has, again, a romantic notion attached to it because it was owned by someone famous. Sure. Well, and so also you, uh, wonder, you wonder a bit, what yeah. if you did open a, a, a glass of Churchill's wine, <laughs> yeah. what would it taste yeah. like now? <laughs> yeah, how would, it, how would it fare? Well, I mean, it's, it, I think it's a safer bet to, uh, you know, if our listener is... Uh, is, is contemplating some serious auction action of celebrities um, to go for, um, for for spirits rather than wine because uh, spirits tend generally not to go off because of the uh, being being that strong in alcohol. But wine, yeah, that's uh, you, you really. I mean, that this is why people spend the extra uh, in commission from auction houses because uh, they'll only auction houses will only ever accept. Um, wine that mm. has been sellers properly, you know, that can be uh, that's uh, can be tracked back to have never having been in a in a let's say a Hong Kong flat where the aircon is is off for half the day <laughs> and then turned on in the evening. You know, it, Hot it, and you cold. know should anyone mm. should anyone live like that? No, yeah. nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, no, look, um, no. all very interesting stuff. Uh, and just remind us, at Guild Podcast is what it's called, oh. right? Uh, yeah, just uh, just Guild Podcast. Guild Podcast. That's it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Andrew Dembina is yeah. here every Tuesday lunchtime telling us about various topics of food and drink, and it's been podcasts. Uh, we will speak to you same time next week on the One Two Three Show. Andrew Andrew Dembina, thank you very much, sir. Thanks, James. Have a good day. With consumption vouchers.